Good morning, everybody. You are listening to 88.7 FM Radio Hofstra University. We are live from the Richard Philip Cavallaro Studio South. And welcome to the Tuesday edition of Hofstra's Morning Wake Up Call, where we're talking Long Island life, national news, and international issues. I'm your producer, Ryan Pagano, joined alongside my hosts, Eddie Fitz and Dexter Schmavonian. And today we will be discussing the Bronx apartment fire, the rise of school absentee rates, and in addition, Mike Taylor from J.D. Power will join us later in the show to discuss the future of the airline industry. But before we get into our first story today, Eddie, Dex, how are you guys doing this morning? I, I mean... Happy New Year, guys! It's just yeah. been it's been great. It's 2022, first uh, morning show, the intercession, and could not be more pleased to be to be out here with the boys today. You know, and it's uh, it's great. I mean, this New Year's, you know, as far as a worldwide things going, we're doing pretty good. Definitely better start than last year. So yeah, I, oh, I definitely. And you know, it definitely feels weird being back here, considering that this is my first time on the show in. I'd like to say about a month. I yeah. honestly couldn't even tell you the last time I was on the show. All I know is that I was reporting the last time I was on, and now next thing you know, here. I'm producing. Yeah, same here. Rags, to, rags to riches stories for the both exactly. of you. Exactly. Amen to that. It's, uh, it's hey, hey, good, man. Shmavonian yeah. report will not die. It won't. It won't, We man. will always stay shmavi yeah, we for stay all shmavi. of eternity. Oh, yes. Same with Peg's perspective, even though that was relatively short-lived, at least on the Monday fall show. Anyway, it has nothing on the Fridays, man. It's just a it's just a Friday thing, you know. Uh, but uh, aside from that, I hope you guys had good weekends. Did you guys? I mean, obviously, last end of the football season, uh, the regular season, and then we had national championship. I know you guys are both big sports guys. Do you guys have a lovely sports weekend like I did? Well, I would definitely say so. My 49ers clinched a playoff trip. Let's That's go. really all that go. matters to me at this point in time. That's it. That's awesome. Now you got what? It's a date with the, the Cowboys, right? Yep. Saturday night. They got the Nickelodeon game too, go figure. Ooh. So See, I like the Nickelodeon. How do you feel about the Nickelodeon game? Honestly, I'm all for it. Like, I'm not really much of a Nickelodeon viewer, at least at this point in my <laughs> life anymore. When but it's still a really good concept, especially to market to a much younger audience as well. It's I, absurd, but it's also kind of genius. Yeah, I think so. Like, when, when it first happened, I'm, I was just like, excuse me, did you say Nickelodeon? <laughs> the channel I used to watch SpongeBob on when I was five, that yeah. channel is doing playoff football yep yeah and mitch trubisky's the nvp of the game <laughs> yeah there were like, so what, many memes about what that. is happening they're still making memes about that it's chaos yeah. mitch trubisky's not even a starting quarterback anymore and they're still making memes about him winning mvp yeah oh my goodness oh, it's unbelievable i love it I i'm love all it. for it though. me too me too but anyway with all that being said why don't we move in to our first story of the day so over the weekend, 17 people, including eight children, were killed in a fire in a Bronx apartment building on Sunday morning. And many officials, including New York City Mayor Eric Adams, deemed this as one of the city's worst fire in fires Excuse me, in recent memory. And as for what caused the fire, Adams says it was likely due to a malfunctioning space heater. 
And if this situation wasn't already horrific enough, the safety doors within the building failed to close and that allowed thick smoke to rise through the tower and block or incapacitate residents attempting to escape through these stairwells. And really when looking at this situation, I feel like the one thing that everybody is asking about it for the most part is, how could this happen? Like one of the most important things taught when it comes to fire safety is to make sure all the doors are closed behind you, but yet a safety door within this building failed, which is a huge problem, especially when using the stairs are your only method of escape in a tower that's just too tall to escape a fire. This is a 19-story building, by the way, keep in mind. But, I mean, that just must be horrific to go through and all. I'd, I'd, say, the, I'd say the thing that makes this so much more terrible is it was so avoidable. This wasn't just – this wasn't people n- rushing out and not thinking about stuff behind them and just focusing on getting out, which is understandable – if you're not thinking about closing the safety doors and you're just thinking about getting you and your family out of that building. But this was people closed the safety doors and they literally didn't work. That is on the building manager, that is on the inspectors for not fixing that. Because I I feel like a lot of people do think, oh, there's never going to be a fire here. Come on. Mm -hmm. Come on. Why worry about that? You're such a pessimist. Oh, exactly. But then a fire happens and then you haven't, prepared for this situation you haven't put the proper proper infrastructure the proper you haven't fixed the proper safety doors to make sure that people get out of their safety and then what happens this happens oh exactly and an interesting note about this situation as well is that there have been many emergency alarms going off in this particular building as well and many of the residents uh, when the alarm went off for this fire they didn't really pay much attention to it because They figured the emergency alarm has gone off plenty of times, so they sort of disregarded it relatively early in, especially um, considering the amount of times those emergency alarms have gone off. Even though there was a fire on, I believe it was the second or third floor of the building, which, I mean, it's just absolutely a huge problem for the, all those residents. Yeah, I, I would I would classify it as, quote, a huge problem. Um, I, I would also say that I, I agree with Dexter uh, to the point that you know, if we take a look at parts of the Bronx, I mean, many of these many of these buildings haven't been updated or, or renovated uh, into, like, since around probably 70s, 80s, I want to say, uh, in, in, in some of these neighborhoods. Um, I mean, that's the same out here on Long Island. Like, I know that, like, my old house that I used to live at, it started out as, like, a summer home in the 1920s, and then they renovated it in the 70s to make it a nuclear family home, and then that's sort of where it's been since, and I don't think it's been touched. Like, there's shag carpet. There was shag carpet, like, in my in my old house, <laughs> like, in 2020. Shag carpet. Anyway, uh, but I think it goes to your point, Dexter, that, um, you know, it... It falls to the onus of the the owner, building managers, that, like, when you cut corners, you're cutting corners on people's lives. Like, yes, does it cost more money to to be able to to ensure the safety of civilians? Yeah, but, like, 
you should ensure the safety of your civilians. The biggest yeah. problem is, though, a lot of these landlords, they do care about money more than their tenants' lives. Yeah. They will happily put people's lives at risk if it means more money. They don't think about, like I said, they don't think about dangerous circumstances. They just want to cut corners. They don't. Because it's just so, not going to happen to me, Dexter. It can't ha- like yeah. you said, it can't <laughs> happen to me. If it if it happens somewhere else, that clearly it was meant to happen somewhere else. But it can't happen to my building that I cut quarters on. Oh, definitely. And plus, wouldn't it be more costly as well to have to deal with potential lawsuits from not necessarily keeping these buildings up to code? See, yeah, absolutely. That, that's what might change things. Just a fire that hurts people. And if they have no personal consequences that affect them, other than maybe the moral backlash, they nothing's gonna happen. But if there's maybe lawsuits saying you your negligence, your refusal to spend extra money for the purpose of safety, got my friend, my brother, my mother, my whatever killed. Yeah. There were what was it nine children that died in this? I was eight children. Eight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they originally reported it as uh, 19 people and nine children. But yeah. yesterday afternoon, Eric Adams, he updated that total. Kid, kids literally died because a dude just didn't want to spend the extra money to help make this a safe place. Yep. I know it. it I know the fire was, wasn't started by the safety doors. I know it started by a malfunctioning space um, heater. Space yeah, space heater. heater. But that doesn't change anything. Yeah, I mean, oh, yeah. that's life, right? Like, that's not, if, if you want to go and make it about the tenant having a space heater, then also you can make the case that, like, yeah, probably your building didn't have good heating as well. Mm-hmm. Like, if you, ha- if you don't have a, if there's no need for a space heater, then there. Also, this building was at a point where it didn't have sprinkler systems. In the in the in the building, it's it's How do the you safety not have doors. Sprinkler systems. I, I I think that you know I think that there's ways around it uh, according, oh, to, according to code. Yeah, and uh, it really exposes one of the flaws of the city's ruling on safety standards for apartment buildings as well. Of course, newer buildings they are required to have sprinkler systems and interior doors that will swing shut automatically if God forbid there is fire and smoke within the building. But this does not apply to many of the city's older buildings as well. Of course, we already mentioned that there are some relatively older buildings in the city and also on Long Island as well. But I feel like that is a bit beside the point anyway, regardless, it's putting residents who live in these buildings at a much greater risk. Yeah, but that's that's what offers, you know, cheap housing, I think, at the end of the day, like, you know, if you are. If you were taking that crappy apartment in the Bronx, then like, yeah, odds are you probably can't afford to live, you know, Midtown West. You know what I mean? Like, it's just it is what it is. But like at the same time, just because you can't afford to live in a place without sprinkler systems doesn't mean that you shouldn't have to suffer from fires when they happen. Yeah, just because like, like, yeah. you're poor doesn't mean you deserve to die. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. I. I my main question is, can we just have one year, just one year that doesn't start off with some kind of disaster? Well, I, thought we, I thought we were starting off pretty good, Dexter, from the beginning. We, we yeah. were for a bit. And I guess if you live in California, this doesn't affect you as much. But yeah. still. Yeah, no, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah, I mean, I'm not necessarily sure that 2022 has been off to the uh, best of starts for the most part. I mean, first we have Betty White. 
oh, uh, tragically yeah. passed away. Daddy. And now Bob Saget, rest in peace yep. to Here the I'll both of them. Just I, I will not say, start. since 2020 years have gradually started off better, where 2020 was just a disaster after a disaster. We World War Three almost yeah, happened. Yeah, remember, oh, yeah. remember yeah, that? People yeah. were gonna like, like I'm I'm not getting drafted. Uh. And yeah, then COVID. Those good memes. And then oh, last yeah. year there was the Capitol riots, which yeah. was pretty screwed up. Wasn't as bad because it was really something terrible that ha- lasted about a day. Yeah. And then this year this happens. Like oh we're yeah, like it's a borderline reality show just spread out over say eight to nine months of content. Yeah. It's just unbelievable the way that you think about it for the most part. Yeah, I can't wait for the season finale, man. By the way, <laughs> yeah, these are not conspiracy theories. These are... <laughs> yeah, right. Let's just... Uh, Do- uh, yeah, no, you can't. You gotta, you gotta say that. Um, I would also like to mention that all thoughts and opinions stated here on Hoster's Morning Wake Up Call don't reflect those of Hoster University, 88.7 FM, the Board of Trustees, the Directors, anybody who listens, who, you know, has to say something or answer to what we say. We don't represent them. Yeah, it's just our words. Just our words. Yeah. Just our words, man. Just our ridiculous opinions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, uh, but but I I don't think that that it's that ridiculous at all. I think ultimately it comes down to, uh, I I think this comes down to, at its core, America, like we, we as a country, as a state, as New York City, as, you know, New York, Long Island, whatever, um, have to really look at our infrastructure and be like, all right, is this 2021 like ready? Like, is this up? Or, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, hey, I'm not even asking for 2022 at this point. I'm just asking us to catch up to last year. Yeah, like, just so that way we. We're can, still like, recovering from 2020. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> like realistically, we should get to like 2018 standards and we'd be better. But like, no, I hear you. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't, I don't really have much else to add uh, unless anybody else does. Am I the only one that thinks 2019 was an amazing year? I don't, maybe I don't it's know. just the last three years have been especially terrible, but <laughs> 2019, maybe. something about that year, whenever I hear about anything that happened in 2019, I'm just like, ah, the good old days. The before time. Three yeah. years ago. The before four time. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And kind of to circle back to this, I know this is going to be a weird transition in a way, but we'll make this work. So, uh, you know, you had mentioned earlier decks. Uh, that somebody's going to have to be held accountable for this. Now, who knows who in particular it's going to be, but according to FDNY Commissioner Daniel Nigro, he has said that the building's front door and a door on the 15th floor as well, those should have automatically closed during instances of a fire in the complex. He did mention if that it was unclear whether or not the doors were disabled manually or failed mechanically, but... Really, regardless of which one it was, it just seems to be a clear case of negligence. And it really begs the question, you know, how are we going to hold people accountable for this? And also, how are we going to move forward from this as well? I mean, you just can't help but think those questions. I would say the the in my opinion, you know, this don't take this as fact, but I think that the building manager or landlord, whatever you want to call it, should be held responsible. You could charge him or her, whoever it is, with criminal negligence that resulted in the deaths of numerous different people. Oh, definitely, yeah. Especially, 
since this led to the or helped lead to the deaths of 17 innocent people and eight children. Eight a lot children. of them, by the way, yeah. uh, was because of the smoke inhalation. Because once again, as mentioned earlier, the doors did not close automatically when they were supposed to. And that caused yeah. plenty of smoke to seep throughout the building as well. In fact, when firefighters first arrived onto the scene, I mean, smoke was visible on all four, all floors of the building. Like yeah. it rose up that high in what's a quick amount of time. What's so messed up is from what I've seen, most of the deaths were not caused by the fire itself, but the smoke that they got trapped in. The mm. smoke that was caused by the safety doors not working. Yeah, A lot of people could have been saved if the safety doors and all the safety precautions that were supposed to be there were there and actually worked. Yeah. Uh, definitely. And it really speaks volumes when you hear that firefighters saw bodies on each floor. I yeah. mean, it, it really does I, I, when you look back at it. It's a it, – it's – a failure on on multiple levels it's a um it's it's a tragic day uh but i also think that at the same time how do you move forward like i don't i, I think that we as a society have just sort of been able to tune a lot of this stuff out like you know what i mean like this isn't this wasn't like a big story i think in terms of like the national perspective like again we are local like this is a new york radio so like yeah of course we're gonna talk about a fire in the bronx but um well, uh, I, I would also say that, like, you know, this is people, the, the best thing, the devil's advocate for accountability is just forgettability, in my opinion. The ability to just forget and just sort of move on and just compartmentalize, put everything in the back of your brain. Like, you know, next week, I'm probably not going to be thinking about this Bronx fire, but also, like, you know, these families, like, They'll be thinking about this Bronx fire for for a while, and so yeah. I think that, um, you know, it makes it difficult for accountability when there's not that when there's not like a massive uh, swing around around the subject. So I think it might be harder for these people to to actually get compensation uh, for for the tragic incidences that have incurred within their living quarters. I also think this is one of the. This is one of those things that I feel like could only happen in New York City or a place like New York City that's as big as New York City. Because there's so many buildings that any any inspector sent there to make sure they're up to code or whatever, they I feel like they'd have so many buildings that they'd have to do, so many buildings that they'd already done that would be like, all right, sure, you pass, whatever, yeah. next building. And they... They just, Very difficult to look at buildings all day, I'd imagine. Yeah. yeah. That, if I, I would... Uh, I, I got to admit, if I was a building inspector, I probably would tough. not be that attentive if I have all of Manhattan to look at. Yeah, I mean, we're tr- we're put. I mean, but at the same time, like that's what people are trusting you to do, right? Like, so true. You just, it's yeah, like it's your job. You're putting. You're the one who, at the end of the day, like, I guess. <laughs> Woohoo! Excuse you. me. Welcome you, to the Tuesday show. Oh my goodness. Yep. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Take care. Brush your hair. Oh my god. That gosh. is a certified sneeze. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Oh, certainly. Um, okay, let's not laugh. This is a serious topic. Yeah. All right. No, yeah, we exactly. do have to keep straight faces at the end of the day. <laughs> Very Look, serious. we are journalists. We got to try to keep this unbiased for the, for the most part, at least. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, 
look, we got a little bit of time before before the interview. Um, but but and in between this next story, do you think that bias in journalism is a like we're all journalism people? Do you think that yeah. bias in journalism is something achievable? Like unbiased journalism is is achievable? I would say. Uh, I'd say. Yeah. Keep going. No problem. I'd say right. It is. I'd say WRHU has been. In my opinion, I haven't seen much bias, but there's a lot of very biased, especially in the TV realm. I'm not going to say any particular stations, but there's a lot of very biased television stations that are out there that are kind of sensational and basically just tell their audience what they want to hear, not what they need to. Oh, definitely. And coming from an audio radio major myself, I mean... It's definitely hard to get that unbiased perspective of it, but I mean, I definitely feel like it could be done. No, somehow. I, I and maybe this is something we could talk about towards the end of the show. But uh, I, I hear you. I, I have some strong opinions on on unbiased, on unbiased in journalism in general. But I, I believe we got a guest on the line now, Ryan. Well, yes, indeed, we do. Joining the show now, uh, we have Mike Taylor, a travel intelligence lead at J.D. Power. Mike, thank you so much for taking the time to be here today. Uh, you're quite welcome. Starting off, uh, you know, we're at this peak, sort of, it feels, with the, with the Omicron variant, and that, and that could be... Uh, that's, that's difficult for an industry such as uh, the airline industry that, you know, profits off of people wanting to leave their ho- house and travel and, and go and... and reach their different destinations. How does the airline industry, and how has the airline industry to this point, tried to convince people to come back to airports and travel again? Actually, that hasn't been too much of a problem for the airline industry and the travel industry in general. We've sort of had a surge uh, in the last, oh, eight, nine, 12 months of leisure travel. Now, business travel is a completely different story. That one, you know, is fairly more abundant at this point. But we've had this surge of people wanting to go uh, to take a leisure trip, a vacation, and uh, especially to destinations like Florida and Las Vegas. Uh, They have been absolutely swamped. Uh, The biggest problem with the Omicron phase that we're going through right now is not necessarily among the flying public. It's among the crews that man these aircraft. You know, when they test positive, you know, the current protocol is to have them uh, wait uh, for 10 days and after they get a negative test. Uh, and that's has wreaked havoc with the ability to have enough crews to fly and man the aircraft uh, that you know want to f- that they they need to fly at this moment. Oh, definitely. And staffing shortages. I mean, they have definitely been something that we have seen pretty much in every industry for the most part. Right. Not necessarily just the air travel industry, but many other industries as well. And you know, with this in mind, uh, do you think this could stall air travel's recovery in 2022? Uh, well, to use the word stall, let's, let's speak about exactly what happens when we have these interruptions. And that's really what this is, is an interruption in service. The airline industry is extraordinarily adept at recovering, you know, from major events. You just think about what happened after 9-11 in 2001 where the whole system was shut down and it got restarted oh, five, six days later. And then within five or six days after that, everything was clear. Everybody was where they were supposed to be and they got back to normal operations. 
So it can happen. The recovery uh, of a schedule in the airline industry can happen very, very fast. That is if they have the manpower to do it. And you may have noticed that the air, some of the airline uh, CEOs are kind of floating trial balloons over the last oh, three, four weeks or so saying, you know, hey, that 10-day period, can we make that five days? Because if you think about the, you know, the linear programming that needs to go into, you know, how many people are going to be able to man this aircraft and where will it be able to fly it to, uh, five days uh, makes it exponentially easier to schedule a crew to fly an aircraft. And the other one, of course, is, gee, you know, do we really need to have these masks uh, at this point? Um, and that's another one, simply because people would rather fly without masks, obviously. So there's been a lot of uh, testing of the waters, and so far the federal uh, folks, um, you know, have uh, basically said no to the airlines. Uh, they kind of rebuffed all these little trial balloons. So my question would be, with so many people going in and out of airports and planes, how do you think airports can minimize the risk for particularly their staff when open during COVID? How do you think they can keep their staff from being infected and from spreading the disease to their customers? Well, we survey oh, hundreds of thousands of people on the airports uh, every year about how they feel about COVID. And uh, they feel that the airports have done a fairly good job, basically rating the airports eight out of 10. Uh, on their efforts, and also about 20% of the people, the estimation of the airport, the, the way they view the airport has improved uh, during the COVID period because airports have been extraordinarily efficient in putting together protocols and signage and processes to minimize the you know exposure. Uh, but at this point, <laughs> it just seems like Omicron is going to, everybody's going to get it seemingly. I haven't got it yet, I don't think. I might be one of those asymptomatic people. Um, but I've, I've had meetings w uh, with uh, six people, and all six people have had Omicron. So I don't think it's really going to be something that the impracticality of the airport can get to zero COVID. They've taken all the steps uh, that they have had wanted to take. Uh, if you remember when they first came out with COVID, you know, everybody's worried about surfaces, and then they made a big show about cleaning surface surfaces. They, they had cleaning crews actually during operational hours out cleaning things to make the public reassured. They talked about their hospital-grade disinfectants, and then that kind of faded away uh, because this is a respiratory virus that could spread from person to person, and now it's mostly the mask mandates and enforcing mask mandates and kicking people off of aircraft and permanently banning them if they uh, don't cooperate with the in-flight rules. So airports have done a fairly good job. Uh, we've seen the numbers actually come down. There's more like 7 out of 10 being rated as far as the response to COVID. And we just attribute that to simple fatigue. People are just tired uh, you know, of all the COVID protocols and wish they would just go away. Well, definitely. I personally believe the airports have done uh, quite a good job at attempting to stall the uh, Omicron variant, for lack of a better term. But especially as we're seeing uh, so many staff shortages going on due to the virus, so many uh, people still catching this variant, uh, how would airlines be able to recruit new people into the workforce to seemingly fix these staffing shortages? Yeah, the, there's really kind of a two-sided coin here as far as the labor shortage. In-flight crews and people who fly the aircraft you know, and also service the aircraft in-flight uh, flight attendants, they have no problem. They've got a as big a workforce as they've ever had in the history of the airline industry. 
problem is being some of the lower level jobs that are on the airport, they're kind of behind the scenes. They're having trouble finding those people. And you have to have those people to service the aircraft and do safety inspections and things like that. So that's been sort of a limiting factor. But the actual number of people who want to work uh, on an aircraft that's in flight, um, the demand is still quite high. The probably the still slow rolling effect here is that when they laid off all of the uh, all of the, the pilot some of the pilots that they had in the airline system, they sat out so long that they had to be recertified by the FAA. It's sort of like you you know you don't want a a race car driver who uh, hasn't driven a race car in six months to get just hop into the cockpit and you know go 250 miles an hour and expect no problems. So they have to recertify. And there's only so many trainers and the actual uh, electronic, uh, you know, in-office systems where you're going to check out pilots. There's only so many of those. So they've had a limiting factor there of recertifying the airline pilots. And they're doing a fairly good job, but they're still not quite up to the levels they want. So it's a really double-edged sword here. They've got no problem with people uh, wanting to work in flight, they have, but they have a problem with people wanting to work on the ground. Would you say it's worth the risk of continuing travel, or do you think the virus is simply too intense to keep airports open? <laughs> well, uh, I, I make quite a joke at this when I talk to, to my clients and, uh, and, and the media like yourself. My wife is a physician. She hates it when I talk like this. So I'm just, a, I'm just an amateur uh, virologist here. I, I don't think that we're, you know, I don't think that travel is a sufficient vector uh, as far as uh, getting an infection. Um, you know, the, the airlines like to talk about the refreshment of the in-cabin air. And it's actually quite good. Uh, but it, it, travel in an aircraft uh, just doesn't seem to be much of a vector in spreading this thing. You're more likely to get it from your children or your relatives or your neighbor um, than you would get it to a total stranger. Um, I would say that we've got to face facts that this is, uh, you know, Omicron is a much less deadly version of, uh, than Delta. And again, I'm just an amateur here. I have no medical training whatsoever, uh, but we just have to get back to some sort of normal here. Uh, I don't think that the world can uh, live in fear of every variant that's going to come down the pike. Oh, definitely, especially as we've seen so many more of these COVID variants pop up from time to time. Now, before we let you go today, uh, how would the airline industry move forward from here to return to that sense of normalcy? Well, I think that you saw, you know, the, the first you know, faints at, you know, hey, can we relax some of these things? I mean, the current standard, uh, the current um, mandate for masks in flight, I believe, it still goes through March. And at that time, we might find from the data available from Omicron that it's, uh, you know, relatively benign variant. That's the most prevalent variant. And it's also providing immunity. And that might create the political environment. In which the uh, you know the the world's uh, governing body say yeah okay you know we can relax some of these restrictions, uh, but it's very easy and it's very visible to put restrictions on people who travel uh, because you do have to obey the rules of the airline or you're just kicked off the aircraft, you know according to the contract of carriage that you implicitly sign when you when you buy a buy a ticket, uh, so it's easier to enforce some of these mandates to uh, for people who are on an aircraft or in an airport than it is to say. You know, someone who wants to come into a liquor store, uh, you know, or a grocery store. Um, so it's a, it's politically much easier to manipulate uh, the rules uh, in flight than it is for the rules in your neighborhood. 
but there's got to be some give and take here. Uh, eventually, I, I've always said, and I've been saying this for almost two years now, all epidemics end, all of them. And this one will as well. We just have to let it end. Well, uh, Mr. Taylor, thank you so much for coming on the morning wake-up call uh, with myself, Ryan, and Dexter. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to add for our, view, uh, for our listeners before you go? Uh, no, except that, uh, you know, I hope that we do get back to a period of normalcy soon. And, uh, you know, I, again, I, I'm just an amateur guy. I just look at some of the data, um, and I'm hoping that we're actually past the point of danger here and we can get back to normal within the next six to seven months. That's my hope. Michael Taylor, J.D. Power, thank you so much once again for taking time out of your busy day. You're quite welcome. All right, guys. What a, what a time. What a nice chat with our good pal, Mike. Uh, and we, we, we do appreciate him coming on the show. Um, man, it's Omicron, right? It feels Omicrazy. Yeah, Omicrazy would be uh, the right ring to it, if you will. I, that's what I like using. I think, I think you know, if a, place, if a place is filled up with Omicron, it's Omicrazy in there. Yeah, I mean. That's got to be a catchphrase or a song or something. something. You, can't, you can't just invent a word like that and then just leave it and ignore it for the rest of your life. Yeah. yeah. I feel like it, for some whatever reason, it just reminds me of that uh, Pokemon go to the polls trend or Ooh, something like yeah, that. Yeah, I feel like a politician would say, now things are getting a little oma crazy, and then Twitter just flames them for like a day and I a was half. on Pokemon Go for like a week, and then I completely stopped caring about it. Oh, man. You know what oma crazy reminds me of? CeeLo Green, you know? Does that make me crazy? You know, Ooh, okay, yes, okay, that I got brings you. me back. <laughs> okay, and now all especially, right. Especially, especially with midterms coming up this year. I mean, I feel, I personally feel like it's only going to be a matter of time before somebody would would drop the word "oma crazy" in casual one of their speeches. Yeah, it, it's going to happen. But yeah. Eddie Fitz gets the. Give me the credit when it happens, though. Give the people with, give give people credit. Uh, but guys, I want to talk about these this local Long Island story uh, really quickly. Um, so cases are rising with uh, with this Delta or with the Omicron and Delta variant still surging around. Um, and Eyewitness News ABC uh, went to Hempstead Middle to sort of investigate how does this affect student absentee rates and and parents and whatnot. And they found. Uh, that about 35% of students just the week before um, heading back, right? So, like, they've been back this week, um, has jumped up to 35% from 26% on Monday. And this was, uh, this was last week. Um, so, again, they, the numbers vary differently from school to school, depending upon where you are at. But for Hempstead Middle, cases are rising and it's causing a lot of concern. So I wanted to get your initial guys, your guys's initial thoughts about this because it becomes difficult. Because on the one hand, you want to keep these kids safe, so you're like, we should do online school. But then on the other hand, you're like, we want to make sure these kids are learning, so we like shouldn't do online school. But also like, we don't have the teachers to do it because like in this case, there there like we talked about with the airline industry, there's a bunch of staff shortages. Oh yeah, I mean there has been so many staff shortages within these schools as well, not just the airline industry. And look, I knew the attendance situation within these schools was going to be less than amicable given the recent rises of Omicron and all these other variants of COVID-19. I mean, especially because now apparently there might be another variant that combines Delta and Omicron. 
I really hope that is just false news after all, but okay. it really is unbelievable to see how really bad it is. If there's a combination of Delta and Omicron, then someone there's some alien kid in his basement just yeah, like, I'm, now I'm going to make these two viruses combine and yeah. it's going to make everyone's lives miserable. <laughs> yeah, no, it feels like that. It feels like some Truman Show producer but, is, uh, yeah. is really on to us. In all seriousness, I'd say from an educational as well as social perspective, it's good that they be in person because, look, I myself, I'm a college student, and last year when we were doing all online, there were times where I'd just log on to the Zoom and then just look at my phone for an hour and just not pay attention to class simply because I could. There's yeah. definitely lots of kids that do that. And more importantly, on a social level, you it's – Little kids aren't really going to make friends over Zoom. Yeah. You have to be – all the friends I had when I was a little kid, I, I knew them because I was in class with them because I sat next to them. I had the same teacher as them. And that's how you make friends when you're a young kid. And mainly, mainly for younger kids, that's important. But secondly, kids and teens are arguably the least vulnerable group when it comes to COVID. Generally, although it's not exclusive to older people, I've had COVID myself and I'm only 20, but generally kids and teens aren't as vulnerable to it. And when they do get it, it doesn't harm them as much. Mm -hmm. So I would say when you look at the risk reward, the reward is definitely the reward for going back in person is far greater than the risk for staying online. Well, no, I get you. I hear you. Uh, and, and I completely agree with you on those points. However, I think that some I think something that this study highlights is that because it's it's not just about the kids like it's very like I, 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 I hear that it like, you know, if these kids get it, like they'll bounce back. They're they're like rubber. You know what I mean? But like at the same time. They, they've had guidance counselors, assisted principals, uh, like coming in to cover classes just to make make it through their day. A and, you know, I, it's it's hard for me now because I'm oh man, four years removed from high school. Oh, my God. That's oh, crazy. my God. Like <laughs> I was eternity. high school that long ago. Yeah. Right. And so now I'm like uh, and so I try to like think back of like times when like we had substitute teachers or like teachers from like. A different subject area trying to come in and teach that different sub like a, a subject like trying to have the science teacher come in and teach us uh, like English you know what I mean like he's not gonna know the intricacies about to kill a mockingbird like I get you like I get you man it's a good book but like he can't just say that like it's just no. not gonna work so I feel like the quality of education as well starts to suffer when, when we start looking at these staff shortages so then it's like well, if the education is suffering in person and it's suffering online, what do you do? That's that's what makes this story so interesting that, to me. Yeah. yeah. And that, it just feels like one of those lose-lose situations in a way where people are going to complain if you still have these kids uh, going in person, but then you're still going to have uh, that audience that is going to complain as well if they are fully online, especially because of the amount of distractions that they have at home as well. And look, I will 
And these parents can't can't work anymore, right? Like it's exactly. not like it's not like it was before, where it's you know two weeks to stop the spread. Everybody's home. Parents have their kids, like, and everybody's like yeah. getting cabin fever, hating each other. Back in back in twenty twenty, some people oh, yeah. got lucky and they were able to just work from home, but other people just lost their jobs. Or, and or just yeah, and now screwed. they can't, and now they now they can't afford not to go to work, which means that yeah. they can't afford to take care of their kid at home. So it's like they need the school to be able to send their kids someplace to go because yeah. they ha- they have to s- they still have to show up to work regardless of whether or not their kid has school. And also the teachers, they're not kids, so they they also have to go. They're <laughs> a, a lot of teachers are older people too, so they're they're potentially vulnerable to getting covid from their students. Yeah, look, my dad is a plus 50 uh high school teacher. Like I I get worried about it, man. Like it's it, it like I don't ca- like it sounds bad that I don't care about the students of my alma mater, but like, look, I I care about my dad a lot more than I care about the students. But like, man, if like, if some teen just like gives my dad COVID, like he could be done. Like that's like that's like that's a that's a legitimate possibility. He's got comorbidities. Like it's it, it's tougher. Uh, but I don't know. I I don't want to say that schools should go online, shouldn't go online. I'm just saying that. It's really interesting, and I would love to see the quality of education ratings out of this year as opposed to, to other places. Because I know that some places in Long Island have gotten higher ratings than they have in the past uh, coming out of the pandemic. So I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's interesting. Hempstead Middle, uh, 35% uh, absentee rate so far. Yeah, I mean, it's just unbelievable. And I also wanted to uh, circle back to one of your points as well. I mean, look, on paper – it's not necessarily a bad idea to go online, but one thing that I feel a lot of people don't necessarily take into account is the fact that there's definitely plenty of parents in Hempstead who don't have childcare. So if this in-person learning for the kids transitions back to virtual for the foreseeable future, at least while their parents are out at work, then this is just going to leave so many kids at home unsupervised. And this is just going to cause a whole domino effect, really, that you would much rather want to avoid. And I think the worst part about this is this mainly, this primarily would affect the poor because the rich people can afford babysitters. They can afford people to take care of their kids, even if they're at work and the kids are online. But This affects a place like Hempstead Middle a heck of a lot. They, like it's a it, it's Hempstead Middle and the Hempstead School District are one of the only schools who have remained open consistently throughout the pandemic because I think that they know like the the role that they serve in the community to to the parents of their community. Like to be fair. Oh yeah, and you know I this is definitely the part of the show where I'll give them a lot of credit for really just being adamant in their stances to stay open throughout all this. I'll give them all the credit for making this work and for attempting to make this work, I should say, in pretty pretty much seemingly every way possible here. Yeah, or at least trying to. <laughs> I mean, like 35% of their students are not showing up now. <laughs> yeah, same with the teachers as well. I feel like this would be a good time to mention that. I feel like South Park kind of predicted that in a way back in the pandemic special. I, I believe they that. had the 
Yeah, they had the cops teaching. Uh, yeah, the, oh, all the, yeah. Te- yeah, yeah, the, all the, the teachers cop. quit because they were like, I don't want to get COVID. And they were yeah. like, oh, we, what are we going to do? <laughs> they hire all the police people who are out of that, work. Because that was funny. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> South Park did it before it was cool. Yeah. No, South Park does everything before uh, anything's cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah Trey people, Parker and Matt Stone. You know, they do want to say the Simpsons are practically just a bunch of time travelers. They have predicted so many aspects of our future oh, time Simpsons and time again. It. Yeah. Oh. Dude, the Simpsons did it episode is literally just a whole jo- a whole episode designed about that joke. Like, it's they, so funny. They Pretty not much. only predicted Trump becoming president, they even predicted Trump's, the exact, like, thing that would happen when he When he comes down the they tower, the elevator, yeah. shot for shot, him going down the escalator, like, 20 years in it. How does... How, I, Disney Plus has all the Simpsons, and there's a collection underneath the Simpsons that has the Simpsons predictions. So you can watch every single episode of everything that the Simpsons have predicted. Literally, season one, they uh, Lisa becomes president in like a future. Term yeah, and she's supposed wow. to be like Hillary Clinton. Yeah, yeah, well, sort of, and she's like, like one of the offhand lines is, uh, and this is season one. This is like '90s. It's like. The budget crisis we inherited from President Trump, like it was like holy smokes, like not growing. Like Conan O'Brien, like what are you guys doing in there? I am convinced that uh, Futurama, created by the same guy Matt Groening that made The Simpsons, is about Matt Groening and why he's able to predict so much stuff. (laughs) Like, what other explanation is there? That's a good theory. Uh, I love that. Seemingly, that Disney Plus. ESPN plus Hulu bundle, it's seemingly becoming more wor- more worth it for me now. Yeah, you feel that way? Oh, yeah. And, I mean, honestly, if we were to talk about every single thing that The Simpsons predicted in the near future, really any of these adult cartoons for the most part, I feel like we would be here uh, probably at least another hour yeah. or so because there's just so many predictions to dive into. But this show's about news, so. Yeah. Exactly. Let's so talk I feel about like the news. this could be a good transition into our third story, and uh, and Dex, I know you have a lot more of a general overview of this well, story. Yeah, eight thousand protesters were detained in Kazakhstan after demonstration against the country's rising fuel prices that very much escalated into violence, killed a hundred sixty-four people, according to Kazakhstan's health ministry, and since then Russia has seized control of the country to settle the unrest, which pissed off people for them just being aggressive and trying to take up as much territory as possible. And this could be, this is huge going into the U.S.-Russia negotiations about Ukraine's independence. It has been absolutely huge for the most part, probably one of the most talked about international stories thus far, especially as it pertains to our country as well. And I feel like it would be definitely be a good time to mention uh, that President Biden, he has been public uh, regarding the situation over in Ukraine. He has mentioned that if Russia continues to invade the country, the U.S. would respond accordingly. So and especially as these talks between Russia and the U.S., are still ongoing. I mean, you just have to wonder how they're going to rectify this somehow. And and look, this is uh, Kazakhstan, Russia, you know, a lot of these places, they have very linear economies when it comes to crude oil and that, like those types of resources. Like however, 
you know, however much that oil costs is pretty much how, like determines how how well your country is doing. And so when it, it can be like, yes, on the outskirts, it looks like, oh, people were upset about fuel prices sky, skyrocketing. But like on the whole, yeah, people get upset when when it's three dollars a gallon here, but we're not protesting over it. Like, no. you know what I mean? Oh, like, yeah. They, like, like it's, I. Like but I, because it's that's not what it means for the economy for, also, for us exactly. here. If most people in America can afford to spend three dollars. Well, yes, I mean that. Yes, that that part too. To uh, us, it, it feels like a big jump, but Kazakhstan is just something else. Well, that they see what it means to the the economy and how it will impact the rest of their lives. Like the, uh, it, it's not a matter of I can't afford to pay double my fuel prices. It's the fact that fuel has now become. So much more expensive here when it should be such a, uh, such a resource that we have so readily available that we should be exporting, we should be profiting off of. It makes it more difficult. And I think that Russia's influence, again, I mean, Russia's been, man, they are, they are really doing it. Like, I, I, we, talked about, we talked about it a little bit on, on, on the Friday show, Dexter, but like... Oh, yeah, about the, the creeping, thing. Yeah, yeah. A creeping authoritarianism, Ukraine and, and Putin... I, I, it just feels more and more like Russia is there. They will continue to push and push and push, but they, they, they don't push too heavy. They just like, they nudge a lot. Well, and it's like a continuous poke, like on Facebook. Like that's what it feels death like by to paper me. Cut. Yeah, yeah. Death by paper cut they, to me is what it feels like. They know if they take, do anything major, the United States is going to jump in. And they do not want to screw with the United States. Yeah, I don't think... Yeah. Even a country as powerful as Russia, they are not us. Yeah. U.S. can beat... Like, I'm not saying this is a good thing necessarily, but the U.S. has the military power to destroy any organized military. Obviously, guerrilla warfare has proved to be incredibly effective against us. But outside of that, we have the resources to beat Russia in a war, and Putin knows that. But... This is definitely a power move on his part. The opposition leader in Kazakhstan actually said that he wants to, quote, rebuild the USSR by force. And I really couldn't agree more. He is, in fact, a former KGB agent, if any of you recall. And he has employed similar tactics to the Soviet Union, both internally and externally. And the most dangerous part about him is he's just getting more and more aggressive. And he he's just beginning to look for expansion, and that's what's really scary. He, and like I said, U.S.-Russia talks coming up, and I think Putin is, what he's really doing here, because the timing here is very significant, what he's really trying to do is get himself as much leverage as possible. Oh, absolutely. When he oh, definitely. comes time to negotiate. We so love we can, that. Oh, definitely. That's and a great Russia point, Dexter. Definitely has all the leverage in these talks for sure. I mean, Putin already... Uh, claimed a victory yesterday in defending Kazakhstan from what he had described as a, quote, foreign-backed terrorist uprising. So, of course, Putin is definitely well aware of what he's going to be getting into if the United States were, of course, to join into these discussions and such. But, I don't. I think mean, you have a very good point there, Dexter, that Russia, they have all the leverage at this yeah. point in time. I would also like to add that, uh, you know, we talk about, you know, uh, the president of Kazakhstan being ex-KGB and uh, being, you know, uh, talking about wanting to form 
a new Soviet Union. It feels like a rebuild the Soviet Union to to a certain extent. Um, I think that it's tough because uh, on the one hand, you know, you're looking at at places like Russia, and it's like, oh yeah, they they don't want to build a Soviet Union, and like once again. But then like, well, it wouldn't be identical. Yeah, right. Putin very much emulates former Soviet leaders. Like I I think. Although it's not an exact comparison, I think Stalin, Stalin was a, was more brutal. He might have been the most brutal dictator ever, but Putin definitely wants to be a lot like Brez- Brezhnev and Khrushchev and all those yeah. guys. The that, Evs. Yeah. Pretty much Evs. just named the Evs. The uh, Evs and yeah, the Inns. The Evs uh, and the Inns. Uh, so, but no, I, I, I agree, and I think that, when we start looking at these like alliances or, or, or you know cohorts in in this part of the world, I think it's important to note that you know the the ideologies evolve, right? Like the people get smarter, and, and I think that I'm not saying that like look Russia is a huge threat to to the United States because realistically I think that I think Russia just wants the best thing. I think Russia is just ultra nationalist to yeah. to an extent, not like. You know, they, they just I, care about themselves. I think Putin mainly just wants to take the former Soviet territories. Well, I think he wants the Black Sea as well. The I Black think, Sea, like would that's be like that's big yeah. that's the that's the yeah. big thing. That's why Ukraine. That's the whole Ukraine thing, right? Like yeah. he he wants access to the Black Sea. Um, and, and it's crazy. Like we talk about him, and, and we talk about the way the things that he wants to do, as like almost like a uh, almost like an ancient like king or like lord I that mean, like you know that wants to expand their territory yeah and, manifest you know, destiny manifest destiny he, that's sort of deal kind of like the this is a very weird comparison but he's sort of like the dictator version of elon musk where he puts on this like goofy Ooh. like memeable persona mm. with the riding the horse shirtless I kind of I, like I dig that I dig that comp I dig that comp that's interesting he's He's always like doing something. He's always trying to seem funny, and he's got this he's, charisma. To he's him. out there, yeah. But you know what he is. Yeah. You know what he really is. Yeah. No, oh, yeah. that's good. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. I mean, uh, he. I mean, look, he is. He could be super memeable. I mean, we have seen the meme trends of wide Putin walking. Yeah. Why like, you guys Putin. remember that? Wide Putin. Oh man, good old days. Uh, Ryan, what are, what are your thoughts though on on this international story? Uh, well, it's definitely something to keep an eye on uh, for sure, definitely, and it it definitely really speaks volumes just how many of these Ukrainian citizens have opposed Putin and his leadership, to say the least. Especially because, and I know I'm going to be circling back to this, but especially because. They know the United States could get involved in this if it were to potentially go there. Oh, the U.S. is already involved, I I think, to me. I I don't know. Go ahead. Continue. Yeah, I mean, they could be borderline pretty much involved already. I mean, it's really, however, uh, you, whichever point of view you want to take at this. Let's just say our military isn't involved yet. Yeah. Yeah. But we're basically the, the Earth cops, so. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, essentially just being sort of. Involved in name only, if you will. Yeah. Well, I would say that uh, I I would be I would be shocked. I would be remiss. I would be bamboozled if uh, you know the three letter organizations uh, don't have 
stuff, you know, working yeah. wor- working within those organizations and in those areas to try and corral the areas. And I think that that's where, you know, it it wouldn't surprise me if you know there are there are protests that that get inspired by. Look at Ukraine. Ukraine yeah. was they had their own protests and they were flying Kazakhstanian flags. That's right. Yeah, I mean yeah. they've had a lot of uh, slogans in regards to their protests so far. In particular, one of the uh, main ones that have caught my eye is quote Say no to Putin. Mm. I feel like it's just really speaking volumes yeah, as I to how they, feel it, they know it's they coming. Feel. Yeah. Also, yeah. like I feel like the concept "say no to Putin." Yes, you can say no to him, but then he'll show you his tanks, yeah. and then then you'll be in in a load of trouble. Yeah, <laughs> isn't it's that just, isn't, isn't that something, man? <laughs> isn't that the catch twenty two yeah, of, of a, being politically protesting? Yeah, I mean yeah. it's just a very tough spot to be in as of right now yeah. know, especially given the circumstances and everything oh man i i mean we got a couple of minutes guys anybody got any good plans for the rest of the week uh not really you know no, you're just chilling having a good day good yeah, vibes my uh my buddy's in vegas so Ooh. just waiting for him to come home nice. okay all right all right but you're taking the train back to manhattan today right uh yeah yeah How's yeah. it? How's that? How how, how how was the train in this morning? Did you take the train I didn't, in this morning? I, my dad drove me up Sunday because I had right, stuff yesterday. You? But um, I I would not take it this morning, because just waking up I had to I, I I stayed at a my normal dorm in Suffolk, Suffolk Hall, not the county. But that alone, you know, waking up at six thirty was not fun so i'm god knows how early i'd have to wake up for the train true i mean at least you managed to wake up on time though i mean i overslept by an hour this morning had to rush here and everything oh yeah I so yeah i let's just say i don't necessarily have the greatest starts to the morning to put it simply especially because it's my first ever time producing uh the show for the intercession so well, you did a phenomenal job. We got a, We had a great yeah. show today. I had a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, that was a heck of a show, guys. Just to just to welcome you in, I gotta give you gotta give you a little bit of bore news. Just gotta do it, man. You bores. know the bores. bores. Uh, that time of the is that, that time, time of the, of the week, week again. That time of the wake up call. Last couple minutes. Uh, just because for those who don't know, the bores they are wild. They are animal creatures who what? hunt in packs. Who have been all throughout the world and they are overly aggressive they will attack you they will come after you and like they have taken over cities they've taken over uh large areas of forest and when people try to clear them out they literally cannot because they breed like rabbits and they'll 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 multiply however what is interesting the most recent piece of boar news in italy african swine fever as we were talking about i think we talked about this like just before the show a couple days ago yeah in italy they found a boar had african swine fever which again you know boars carry diseases as well boars they want to kill you yes dude oh my god the, read up on boars they're coming and, and that's all i got yeah quite the interesting boar news and i feel like this would definitely i'm glad it wasn't be a, a good boar. way to end it for sure oh absolutely yeah great way to end the show today wait on a more lighthearted topic, at least, especially. Hold up, hold up. Considering the go hard news it. topics we have Before we on go tonight. to the outro, I just got one thing to say. Go for it. Make Remember it to stay schmobby. Oh, I love that. We love, love that. It. All right. Well, that is going to do it for today's Tuesday edition of the Hosher Morning Wake Up Call. Of course, big shout out to my co hosts, Eddie and Dex. 
I'm your producer, Ryan Picano, saying so long for right now. Don't you worry, though. The morning wake-up call will be back tomorrow with Blaze Pascavage's Wednesday show with hosts Abigail Carmona and Matt Rubenfield. Be sure to tune in. You don't want to miss that. And once again, this has been the morning, Hofstra morning wake-up call right here on 88.7 FM, WRHU.